Well, hey, welcome to Northridge Church. I can't tell you how excited we are to have you, no matter where you're joining us from, whether it's our Webster Rochester campus or our online campus. Welcome home to each and every one of you. We are pumped to have you. Hey, if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, jump there in your device, your Bible, however way you engage with God's word, jump to Luke chapter 15. We're gonna be there this morning. And let me just kind of catch everybody up to where we've been. You see, two weeks ago, we we jumped into this brand new series called A Church That. And what we're doing is we're casting a little vision of who we believe the church that God wants us to be, the people God wants us to be, and the church that God wants us to be. And over the first couple weeks, we talked about a couple things. The first week we talked about, we want to be a church that is family. That's why we say welcome home each and every week because it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your background, your past, your sin issues, Northridge Church will be a place that welcomes anybody and everybody. You can come as you are and you can find a place to belong, a safe place to belong where you can learn about God's word, you can learn about Jesus, what he accomplished for you ultimately so that we together as a family would become more like Jesus. So we wanna be a church that is family. Last week we talked about a church that is you unified. A church that is so busy fighting for each other, we don't have time to fight with each other. A church that will hold on to unity despite all the conflicts and all the division out there will set the example of what it looks like to be together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And so as we dig a little bit deeper into this series, as we cast a little more vision, the next two weeks we're going to talk about why we exist as a church. Our mission, our aim, the reason why we do everything that we do, and you've probably heard us say this before, but let me remind you, Northridge Church is here to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And so what we try to do is we keep this delicate balance of reaching people who don't know Jesus, who are far from God, loving them to Jesus, but also helping people grow to maturity in Christ Jesus, to look more like God, like Christ. And so the next two weeks, we're going to talk about those two words, more and better. And this week, we're going to start with the first part of the equation, more. We want to be a church that reaches people far from God. And I'd like to say it like this. We want to be a church that pursues people far from God. That we would be a church that is so enamored with what the gospel did in our life, we can't shut up about what it can do in other people's lives. That we would be so moved by Jesus' death and resurrection that it just is coming out of us in our mouths. That we would pursue people who don't know, who haven't heard the hope of the gospel. Now let me start by, by doing this. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something? Okay, guys. Just, I don't know if you know this. And maybe it's you just go, when you ask a question, it's okay to like, yeah, Drew, I've lost something. Like, I, I'll be better if you're with me, okay? Okay, I'm just, I'm just want Webster, you hear me? I, I know you guys like tend to be quiet. Let's start again, right, okay? Have you ever lost something? Yes! Oh, wow, Wait, welcome! Okay, it's 9.45, I know it's not 11, but we'll get there, okay? You know that feeling, right? That frantic feeling where you need something and you can't find something. Right, your keys on your way to work, right? You're like, where are the keys? And the more you search and the longer you can't find them, the more frustrated you get. Or maybe it's your cell phone for all the younger generation, right? You lose your cell phone, it's like losing your life. It's like my whole life is in there, my credit cards, my, my diary, all those things. Like, what am I gonna do? Or worst of all, man, have you ever lost a kid? 
Ashley and I have never done that, by the way, just for the record. But you're like an amusement park, and you're like, one, two, uh, where did Johnny go? It's, it's an awful feeling. To know something is not in its rightful place. It's missing, it's lost. And that feeling is, is the feeling that Jesus creates in Luke chapter 15. Let me set the scene for you. Luke chapter 15, it says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now this kind of takes us back to week one, right? Here you have people who didn't look like Jesus, but for some reason they were just drawn to Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners, the, the filth of the earth, the scum of the earth, the dirty, nasty people, for some reason just want to hear what Jesus has to say. And it rubs some people the wrong way, right? Verse two, it says, but the Pharisees, the religious people, the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so what's interesting is if we set the scene right of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is doing his ministry. He's teaching. He's a rabbi. He's teaching a crowd. And in this crowd in particular, there's two groups of people. They're polar opposites. You have the sinners, the tax collectors, the people who don't look like Jesus, don't act like Jesus, the people who you would think probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but for some reason they can't get enough of Jesus. And they're around him. They want to hear what he has to say and then the religious people, the teachers of the law, they're here as well. But what's interesting is the Bible says they're not here to hear Jesus. They're here to moan and groan about the people who are around Jesus. Like, how could Jesus hang out with them? And so there's this obvious disconnect between the two groups of people. And what's happened to the Pharisees here is they've bought a lie. And I think this lie has seeped into Christianity and it's easy for us to often portray this message. You see, the Pharisees believe that you need to behave before you believe. And isn't that what religion teaches us? If you want the part, you gotta look and act and be the part before you get it. And just to make one clarification, for those of you who might not know this, we are not here to be religious, we're here to walk in a relationship with Jesus. And that's the difference. Religion says, hey, if you want to get to Jesus, it's on what you do and how you look, right? Religion says, fix it up, clean it up, and then Jesus will accept you. Then Jesus will love you. A relationship says, you come as you are, because I loved you before you ever cleaned anything up. And see, we miss that sometimes. What's, what's happened in Christianity over the last couple years is I've seen in me and so many Christians this growing bitterness dare I say hatred towards the people God actually wants us to reach. Where we've gotten to this place where we're so disconnected from the world, in fact, we're not, not only just disconnected, we're like the religious people where we find ourselves judging the world. Have you ever found yourself over the last three years saying things like this? What is wrong with these people? How can they think this way? How can they act this way? How could they believe that? Maybe religion has crept into your heart. Let me ask you a question. Okay, let's, let's, let's kind of set the scene. Let's say you see a, a post on social media or you're reading the newspaper or whatever you do and, and it's posted by someone who is obviously doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what they're posting is in sheer defiance for all the things that Jesus stands for and you see that post, can I ask you what your first reaction is? Is it anger or is it compassion? Is it judgment or is it prayer? Is it disgust or is it a deep desire for them to know the Jesus that you know? You see, here's what's happened, I think. Our hearts 
As Christ followers, and the gap broadens from what our culture believes and what we believe, our hearts have grown bitter and hard towards the very people God wants us to love. And I'm convinced of something. I'm convinced that people far from Christ don't want Christ because of the people who represent Christ. And that's not everybody. I'm not saying, I'm not categorizing us all in that category, but I've seen this to be true in Christianity today. The very reason people don't want a relationship with Jesus isn't because of Jesus, because guess what? When Jesus was on the scene, guess who was drawn to him? Tax collectors and sinners. Are those people drawn to you? Or is your judgment so out there that people don't dare get near you? because of what they might experience. Jesus was the complete opposite of that. The religious people didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but people who were far from God couldn't get enough of Jesus. And so as Jesus sits in this crowd and there's these two polarizing people, what Jesus does is he tells three stories. We're gonna look at two today. I'd encourage you to read the third one later in Luke 15. He tells two parables that are very similar to rebuke the religious attitude of the religious people. Let's start in in chapter chapter 15 of verse three. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, so first story, very simple. 100 sheep, shepherd. One goes astray, one sheep goes astray, shepherd goes after it, finds it, calls his friends, let's party, found my lost sheep, awesome. Second story, you're gonna find it's very similar. Verse eight, it says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over God, of God over one sinner who repents. So again, the second story is very similar. You have a woman, 10 coins, she loses one. What does she do? She throws her house upside down to find the lost coin. When she finds it, she calls her friends. Hey, let's party, I found my lost coin. So Jesus tells these two stories and I wanna make four observations of things that I think are really important for us to understand. What Jesus is trying to communicate to us. The first observation from these stories is there's this obviously recognition that something is missing. Something is lost. You you notice that the shepherd realizes one sheep has gone astray. You notice that the woman recognizes that she's lost one coin. And you might ask, isn't this obvious, Drew? Like, why is this so important? And I think Jesus is trying to teach us a subtle message here. That when we approach people, knowing whether something is lost or found dictates the way we respond to it. Don't miss this, right? Like Knowing the spiritual condition of, of somebody's life should often determine how we respond to them. And what's happened in, in a lot of relationships is we respond to Christians the way we should respond to lost people, and we respond to lost people the way we should respond to Christians. So when someone posts that thing that, that, that disgusts you on social media that is far from God, maybe instead of leading with a truth bomb, maybe we lead with a little bit of grace and mercy Do you want to know why people were drawn to Jesus? Because he didn't point out all their faults. He gave them grace despite their sin. 
He loved them to the truth rather than land blasting them with the truth. And, and this recognition that something is lost determines how I respond to it. The second observation is just this pursuit after the lost thing. You notice that the shepherd and the woman leave the majority to find the minority. It, it, it almost doesn't make sense. Right? It, it seems like bad shepherding. You got 99 sheep, the herd, right? Like, why would any shepherd think it's wise to put the 99 in danger for one? That's 1%. Or the woman, right? You, you, okay, 10%, right? You got 10 coins, you lose one, that's at least 10%. Maybe we chase down 10%, but at the expense of, of nine? And here's what our pursuit does, is our per pursuit for the thing that is lost reveals the value of the thing that is lost. And can I tell you, maybe some of us, we don't pursue after people far from God because we don't value them that much. That we've missed out on the true gravity of the gospel. And so we have this recognition that something is lost, we have this pursuit after it, and then we find third, finding it. That which was lost is now found. And there's a detail here that Jesus misses that I'm so glad he did. Because you, you will not find anywhere in this story, Jesus tells us how long it took for the thing that was lost to be found. And I think it's really important. Because there are times where we as church people, where we as, as Christians, followers of God, we're pursuing people that, that are far from God. The Bible says it calls them lost, away from the, their, their home. And here's what I know. There's been times where I've shared my faith with somebody and they were so ready for it. They were like, yes, I want that. Lead me to it. But there are also people I've been praying decades for. Some of you get that, right? You, you've been praying for a family member, a coworker for years and years and years. And, and Jesus says, hey, you know what the recipe is? You don't give up on somebody. You pursue them until the lost thing is found. And I won't tell you how long because every story is different. And then you would think the story would be over, okay? The tension is cleared, right? That's lost, we search after it, we find it. But then there's this kind of weird part of the story where there's this community celebration, right? The shepherd and the woman are like, hey, I found my coin, I found my sheep. You know what I should do? I should call my friends. We should, we should light up the grill, have a steak and throw a party. Hey, I lost sheep, found it, let's, let's party, right? Like, hey, why not? And not only is there a party here on earth, but there's a party in heaven, Jesus says. He says when something is lost, is found, when someone is gone from Jesus and returns to Jesus, all of heaven breaks out in a party. And I always wonder what that party must be like. You know, just give us a glimpse, and I think we'll get a glimpse of that October 30th, if I'm, I'm frank. October 30th in the life of our church is something I look forward to almost every year. It's called open baptism. And open baptism is a celebration of people declaring with their life, hey, I was once lost, but Jesus found me. He's changed my life. The gospel has made me a different man or woman. And we get to celebrate with them. Last year, we saw over 90 people get baptized. It's a party, let me tell you. And if that's you, right? You know Christ is your personal savior, but you haven't been baptized. I'm telling you, October 30th is your day. You might not even be ready for it, but God is working, even if you can't feel it right now. He's working. And can I just celebrate with you, church, because I love that we are a church that pursues people far from God. We started open baptism about six years ago. Can I tell you, from six years ago, we have seen 666 people get baptized in our church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Last year, we saw 111, and what's great is today, we got to see two people, a husband and a wife, go public with their faith. Can I tell you, that's something only God can do? We don't take the credit for that. That's God's work in the life of our church, and both of them are baptized, and here, getting baptized today, why? Because of someone pursuing them. Someone chasing after them. And so, you you see Jesus telling the story, and can you imagine how the religious leaders felt when Jesus said this to them, verse seven, he says, I tell you. Can you imagine Jesus looking in the religious leader's eyes? He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Can you imagine how tense it got there when Jesus looked in their eyes and said, you're muttering, but we can't wait to celebrate what God's gonna do in the group of people that you don't want here. So we wanna be a church that pursues people far from God. But how do we become that? How do we continue to be that? And I wanna talk about four things that I think we can do every day, remind ourselves of to become a church that loves our community enough to share the gospel with it. And I think the first part of that journey is just to simply understand our community, to understand where God has us as a church. Yes, we have an online campus, and we see people from Florida and North Carolina and all over the United States join us regularly, and we are so thankful for you in our online campus. But the reality is, is we have two physical, local church campuses here in the greater Rochester area. And I think it's important for us as as people who call this place home to know the community that we live in. And so in 2019, Barna did this research on the cities in all of America that are walking away from God the fastest. The cities that they would call post-Christian. And can I tell you, the, the city and the area we live in is number eight in all of America. Number eight, it's not a list you wanna make by any means, but number eight of all the major cities, of all the big cities, Rochester, this area is walking away from God. And to make matters even worse, the region of of where we live, the northeast, of the top 10 cities, eight out of the 10 were in the northeast category. We know from our, our research that 755,000 people in the greater Rochester area don't go to a church that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Barna did the research, they asked people, and here's how they identified. They said, I don't believe in God. They said, I, I, I would identify as atheist or agnostic. I don't believe faith is important in people's lives. I don't read my Bible, I don't pray. I think Jesus actually did sin, and I don't believe the Bible's accurate. And the list goes on and on. And then we can respond to that in one of two ways. As a church, we can, and as individuals, you know, living in New York isn't always the most exciting time, especially around September and January, if you know what I'm saying. That's when your tax bills come, in case you didn't know that. And and we live in an area that is honestly walking away from God, and it's hard. It's difficult. You feel a little bit alone at times. And, And we can respond to that truth by saying, you know what, let's just go find some light somewhere else. 
Let's just kind of go to a different city that is a little brighter. Or can I tell you, church, today God has placed an opportunity where we live to say, you know what, we'll be that city on that hill. When it gets dark, we'll be the light that shines the brightest. We'll bring the gospel to the darkness, and we will be a part of changing those statistics. And I can't wait for the day where we say, hey, you know what, this year we're number 16 instead of eight. You know what, next year we're number 25, and watch God do what only God can do in the darkness. Because I want to be a part of a church that is pursuing and stepping into the darkness and bringing the light and the hope that only Jesus can bring. And so we have to understand the community that we live in. The harvest is ripe. We just need the workers. But then secondly, I think God needs to do some work on our heart. I think we have to allow God to break our hearts for what breaks his. I think we need to allow God to soften the bitterness and and maybe a little bit of the hatred that has crept up in the religion that's in our hearts. And how does that happen? Well, I think first we remember the work of Jesus in our own life. Do you remember when you didn't know Jesus? Maybe it's been long enough where you have to remind yourself of who you were before Jesus entered your life. Remind yourself of what he's done, how he's changed you, molded you, made you look more like him, the father or the mother that he's allowed you to be, the single person that he's allowed you to be. We only have to remember the work of the gospel. We also need to remember how the gospel came to you. We need to remember that somebody loved you enough to offend you with the truth of the gospel, to tell you that you are a sinner separated from God and only through the blood of Jesus and his resurrection can you be restored through that. And someone loved you enough, cared about you enough to tell you that truth. We also need to remember what's at stake. We're not talking about a bad day for somebody. We're talking about all of eternity. We're talking about forever and ever separated from the very God who gave up his one and only son for humanity. Would you be willing to pray this prayer, church? When this, tomorrow morning and, and throughout the week, When you read your Bible, when you spend time with God, when you go to pray, would you pray this prayer? God, just break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me to see with your perspective and not my own. So we have to understand our community. We have to allow God to do some work in our heart. And then third, we have to drop our religious attitude. We have to stop allowing religion to creep in the way we act and the way we behave. We gotta stop portraying to people to get to Jesus. You gotta look to Jesus, look like Jesus. Because here's what religion says. How could God invite them into his kingdom? Here's what religion says. Hey, religion says, hey, you're not welcome here. Give up on that person. They're too far gone. Religion says, wait, isn't this about me? Like, isn't the church for me, right? Like, shouldn't I, what about my needs and and my wants? See, we have to drop our religious attitude and we need to see the same way Jesus saw. And when we go to judge somebody, we need to be reminded, maybe we'd be that person if it wasn't for Jesus's work in our life. And what I love is we have an example of this. There's a guy named the Apostle Paul in, in, in the Bible. He's an early church leader. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is his drive, his passion for people far from God. And he, he, he uses his own words to tell us. Paul says these words to church in the Bible. He says, follow my example as I follow Jesus. And let's look at his example. First Corinthians chapter nine. Look what he says about how passionate. Look at the words. Understand the gravity of what he's saying. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. Listen to this. 
I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why would anybody do that? To win as many as possible. And though he fleshes it out, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I am not under the law. Why? To win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Why? As to win those not having the law. To the weak, yep, I became weak. Why? So I could win the weak. And look at these words. He says, I have become all things to all people. So by all possible means, I might save some. Think about those words. Think about what that would look like for your life. Paul says, I, I became a slave to everyone so they could experience the Jesus that I've experienced. Then he sums it up. He says, I do all of this. I mean, we gonna ask Paul, aren't you tired? Aren't you burnt out? Isn't that exhausting? He says, no, it's not. Because there's nothing greater than Jesus. And I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. And you'd think that'd be enough, right? Like, holy smokes, that's what I'm supposed to do? Well, it, Paul says, he goes to a whole other level. Look at Romans chapter nine. Look what Paul says. He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. So he's saying, hey, you might think this is an exaggeration. It's not. I'm telling you the truth. He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. So Paul is saying he's burdened for the Jewish people who are far from God, who haven't yet received Jesus. And look what he says he's willing to do. He says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if it would save them. Do you understand what this guy's saying? Paul says, I would give up my salvation. I would surrender it. I would take the blessing and the glory of heaven and I would surrender it so my brothers and sisters, so my family, my people would know the Jesus that I know. Ooh, that's convicting and challenging. So we gotta drop our religion and love people right where they're at with the grace of Jesus. Finally, we gotta go to them, stop waiting on them to come to us. This is the idea of pursuit, it's action. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna sit around and hope God leads me to a place. No, we're gonna be active as a church. This is why Northridge Church strategically has launched campuses because we wanna leverage your influence in your community to bring the gospel. We don't wanna to say to people, hey, you can drive 25 minutes to us, it's worth it. No, we say, hey, you don't need to drive 25 minutes, we're gonna put a campus near you so you can come to here and you can learn about the gospel so our people can leverage their influence. And I got good news, I got exciting news for you guys. We are gearing up in the next year to launch another campus because we want to take the gospel to our city and to our area. What I love about this church is we have been a church that pursues people far from God. Northridge Church has never been a destination on a map. We've always been an invitation from a person. I love about the stories, Jeremy, you didn't hear his, but you heard Kate's. They both said that the reason why they were getting baptized is because somebody pursued them. Someone invited them 
love them enough. And so historically, Northridge Church has grown because we are a movement of people carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's what we do. We ask people to do three things. If you call this church family, here's what we ask of you. We ask you to do three things, to pray, to invest, and to invite. We ask that every morning you'd wake up and say, God, would you give me opportunities? Give me opportunities wherever you take me, whether it's work with a coworker, maybe it's in my dorm, maybe it's in my college, maybe it's with my family. Would you give me opportunities to just talk about you? Opportunities to share my faith, opportunities to talk about what God's doing in my life. Why? So we can invest in those relationships that God puts in front of us. Invest in a coworker, invite them over for dinner, Let build trust in those relationships so ultimately we could invite people to Jesus. You see, the end goal is not to invite people to church. That's a good step. But Northridge isn't here to build its kingdom. We don't care how big of a church we are. What we care about how, is how big the kingdom of God is. And so we want people, you know when a church takes off, it's when you don't need a sermon from me to lead somebody to God, but you're doing it in your backyard, you're doing it in your neighborhood, you're doing it in your co- with your coworker at work, where you're leading somebody to Jesus. What I loved about Jeremy's story, you didn't get to hear it, but he said, you know, what? You know how he was led to, to God? He was walking on his own. He had heard the gospel story and he just said, God, I need you. We don't need a sermon to save people from their sins. You know what we need? A movement of people who will carry the gospel wherever it needs to go. And so that's the type of church that we wanna be. Some of my biggest regrets in life, in high school, college, as a young adult, are the moments that God gave me an opportunity to share my faith and I missed it. I was too busy, had too much going on, thought something else was more important. I wanna be a church that isn't the church in the walls, but I wanna be a church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, wherever God takes us, carrying the gospel, the greatest message in all of history church that pursues people far from God. Let's pray together. God, thank you. The reason why we do that is you set that example. You pursued us. You left the glory of heaven and came to a messy earth for us. And so may, may we follow your example today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.